0: Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Voice from the Void, a podcast about Star Drifter and the Star Drifter universe. This is Episode 6, and I am your host, writer-creator David Collins-Rivera. Today, we're taking a look at the future medical technology of genetic manipulation, also known as gene-sculpting or gene-engineering. By the time period of the novels and stories... Human beings have learned an awful lot about how to manipulate the information stored in their cells. They know how to eliminate inheritable disorders and heal genetic damage leading to cancers and other diseases. They've even learned how to apply this knowledge to the repair of certain types of non-genetic physical trauma. It's a future of medical miracles, but nothing involving people is perfect, and some things are downright dreadful. We'll take a look at all this, and get to the heart of things, right after the update. right. I'm starting to get back some of the old magic regarding draft one of all he surveys. And by magic, I mean stick-to-itiveness. And by that, I mean I actually am getting some work done. Did I hit my target, which I stated last time, of 80,000 words by this episode? ha! <laughs> yes I did! In your face, dear listener! Of course, part of the success lies in the fact that I took so long to get this particular episode out, but eh, we'll skate over that and bask in the glory. Steady, almost daily work represents an improvement, and all joking aside, that part of the writing process is definitely worth noting. One thing to share right now is that I've entirely deviated from my first draft chapter-by-chapter plot layout for this book. I don't even consult that thing anymore because it's so far off the mark. When it's time for draft two, I'm going to put together another chapter breakdown, based partly on what the first draft looks like and partly on the structural changes that will, without doubt, be required. However that plays out, I'm winging it for now so currently i'm on chapter 15 just started it today with a word count of just over 92000 words the goal for next time 100000 words you heard it here first of course you wouldn't hear it anywhere else but uh start a pool somebody can i crack 100k by the next episode i don't know we're gonna find out so much. Imagine the kind of tomorrow where you could live forever, in perfect health, even while eating poorly, drinking, drugging, never exercising, enduring gobs of stress, and generally abusing your body in ways that would have meant an early grave for most people of former eras. Well... That's possible in ejac's time, though, naturally, lifestyles enjoying all of those extremes aren't especially common. Many of the more deleterious effects of such practices can be medicated away complaint by complaint, but some can be prevented from the get-go by changing the patients themselves. Genetic manipulation of human DNA is a standard medical practice by this point in history. It's so common and well-developed that over-the-counter drugs are widely available to safely modify a number of metabolic processes by altering the underlying DNA of the consumer. Are you prone to halitosis despite watching what you eat and practicing good oral hygiene? You might have a genetic predisposition to it. Some people just do. Why not purchase a relatively inexpensive product by a company called Better You, which is marketed under the brand name of Sweet Talk. You can find it in nearly any corner store. Sweet Talk consists of a small packet containing just two items. One, a paper test tab that you touch to your tongue. This turns a bright orange if your bad breath does indeed have genetic underpinnings. And two a single piece of chewing gum, which, in addition to flavorings and sweeteners, Tropical Breeze is their bestseller, possesses biochemicals for the delivery of complex molecular strings acting on the consumer's gene code as recombinant DNA. These chemicals effectively swap out that part of the gene structure, causing odoriferous breath, with gene strings that don't. Or, to be exact, short molecular chain pieces in the epistatic genes required for the condition to exist. One piece of gum and your predispositional bad breath is gone forever. Understand, though, this represents gene suppression only affecting the gum chewer and not some form of inheritable alteration of the genetic code. The consumer's progeny their children, may still inherit the bad breath gene, and therefore need to buy a packet of Sweet Talk themselves one day. Now, place Sweet Talk alongside products for dandruff, flaky skin, tooth decay, soft nails, the color of hair, frizzy hair, greasy hair, thin hair, kinky hair, straight hair, hair products represent an industry all their own, and Pretty much every other minor common dissatisfaction the average consumer might have with their own body, and you can clearly see the value here. All of these issues can be permanently addressed in the comfort of one's own home, or even on the go, because you're too busy to be slowed down by fill-in-the-blank. It's a titanic market that, while discouraging repeat purchases of individual products on the one side, inspires brand loyalty for a wide range of them on the other. Sweet Talk is just one gene-altering item among hundreds that Better You offers. Some folks won't use any other brand, yet there are dozens of competing companies offering tens of thousands of products utilizing this technology all of them vying for consumer attention in outer space. For conditions that require more than just a health and beauty aid, one might need to visit a medical specialist or general wellness facility. Are you showing the early signs of Alzheimer's or dementia? Well, actually, that's unlikely since you were probably inoculated against them as a newborn, along with a host of other neurodegenerative diseases. These include neuromuscular disorders such as ALS, MS, and Parkinson's, but also more diverse complaints such as schizophrenia, paranoia, antisocial behaviors related to neuropsychiatric effects, and many more. All of them were likely expunged from your gene code through induced immunization. But assuming you missed those treatments and do indeed test positive for genetically based age related cognitive memory failure, it's really no big deal. A shot to the arm and you're good to go. Symptoms abating in just a week or two. Your DNA edited for the sake of health and welfare. Depending upon the exact circumstances, more comprehensive solutions to combat inheritable disorders that utilize gene editing as opposed to gene suppression can be tried. This is an approach that involves more than just inoculations or quick fixes. A person's genome is studied by experts then teased apart, usually by an AI dedicated to DNA reading and translation. The segment of the code responsible for the disorder is extrapolated, studied, and excised, then replaced by the correct protein sequences entirely on a customized basis. The new code is synthesized through tools such as molecular printers and chemical incubators, then combined with tailored gene suppression techniques that cause the patient's body to skip their natural cell replication sequence in favor of the newly introduced manufactured one. This effectively banishes the disorder from the patient's entire genetic line. Not only will they not get the disease, but neither will their descendants. This sort of long-term fix is one that is least intrusive and therefore preferred by most medical professionals, but only if time allows. Situations where a patient's health is critical call for other, more intrusive and time-sensitive methods. In Book 2, Street Candles, Ejock undergoes a number of critical care procedures, including comprehensive therapy to counter genetic damage from extreme radiation exposure. By contrast, in Book 4, he receives a simple series of shots to deal with a lower dosage of radiation. It is the nature of the patient's illness, the potential for it to be passed down to their children, and the degree of expressed sickness which dictate the treatment and its schedule. Correction of diseases or defects aren't the only improvements that are possible. Cosmetic gene sculpting is a huge part of this branch of medicine. Are you too short? Too tall? Go get a shot, or more likely, a series of them. And in the next several weeks or months or even years, depending upon how comprehensive or wide-reaching the change is you're looking for, you will grow to become what it is you felt you were missing. Maybe you don't like your eye color, or maybe you want different hair or hair texture. Maybe you're sick of your skin color. You can swap out your reproductive organs, or mix them, or remove them entirely. Maybe you don't like your body at all and want to look entirely different. All these things can be done by this point in history, and most of them are pretty straightforward procedures. Perhaps you'd prefer a coating of fur, along with a tail and a snout. Cosmetic experimentation is not uncommon, depending upon where you are in the galaxy. You can have gills installed and breathe underwater, complete the package with a fish-like tail, and you've become an honest-to-goodness mermaid. Sure, finding work might be a challenge, but at least you're looking good. Many of these procedures can be forced and made to happen fairly quickly. This is something required for emergency situations, but can also be provided to people who have more money than time. Either way, this sort of extensive genetic manipulation requires physical therapy and rehabilitation, which may or may not negate any time savings. From a social standpoint, acceptance of genetic modifications, cosmetic or otherwise, varies widely. As a general rule, libertine and progressive societies tend to be more accepting than other kinds. But there can be surprising limits to the tolerance and the laws of even these sorts of places. Some nations not only don't allow radical modifications, but don't even allow foreigners to enter if they have any. Whatever the local standards and mores happen to be, nearly all places in the galaxy require records to be kept at every stage of the gene-sculpting process, or, more accurately, with medical procedures in general. Medical records are encoded into synthetic RNA used as encrypted molecular data. This is a biological form of storage which appends extra strands onto a person's genome. The body ignores these strands, considering them to be junk DNA, that is, chemical information that, while replicated in all new cells, does not get applied toward the structural formation of the body. New information or edits to older data get copied by a molecular printer, and are then suspended in a saline solution to be injected into the patients themselves. All this takes only seconds, the entire process being integrated into a single device known as a Medico Reader. It makes obtaining comprehensive, personalized procedures in a sprawling future of outer space expansion much easier, since one's medical history is now entirely mobile. If you have the patient and you have a Medico Reader, you have their records. Readers are cheap and easy to come by, being seen in this future time as basic pieces of medical equipment, the way stethoscopes are today. There are numerous security precautions in place for this information, including a high level of encryption on the molecular strands themselves. But there's always a trade-off between security and ease of use. The system is not perfect, but is considered adequate by most authorities for general use. Attention to detail regarding the record-keeping of genetic procedures is especially comprehensive since so much of a person's identity is wrapped up in their appearance. Of course, wherever there's a market for a product or service, a black market can usually be found as well, especially if legal restrictions for said offerings are in place. Physical appearance can be completely altered including such identifying characteristics as fingerprints, capillary patterns in the eyes and hands, and especially the patient's original DNA code. For gangsters on the run, assassins, embezzlers, and more, such back-alley procedures can represent a fresh start in life. Pretty much any genetic modification can be purchased, in fact, not just those for masking identity. By definition though, black markets, even those for medical procedures, are run by criminals. Whatever the patient's motivation, caveat emptor should always be kept in mind. Comprehensive head-to-toe changes that are both safe and off the books are highly illegal. This means they're also obscenely expensive when they can be found at all. Taken together, this naturally limits the widespread abuse of black market genetic alteration, though it's still a favorite news analysis bugbear and a hackneyed plot device for adventure vids and mystery stories. Book 2 Street Candles included. The existence of illegal metamorphic gene sculpting is well known by the general public, therefore, even though virtually no one has ever met anyone who's had it done. Then again, How would they know? Gene sculpting isn't limited to people, of course. Plants and farm animals modified to increase yield and hardiness have been produced for centuries. It's actually a massive market right now, here in the 21st century. By ejac's time, it's entirely routine. The modification of flora and fauna for the sake of biodiversity on terraformed worlds is not only common, but required. Minor variations in the chemical composition of alien worlds, no matter how well they've been altered to suit terrestrial life on a planetary scale, can cause sickness or sterility in the plants, animals, and microbial life introduced. Each species must undergo some degree of genetic modification, or else their long-term viability could be jeopardized. Human colonizers may also require such treatments. Engineering wild animals for these worlds, along with their ongoing care and maintenance by wildlife bioscience experts, is big business. Arthropodal species such as insects, arachnids, and crustaceans are given special attention. They are usually among the very first macroscopic animals to be introduced to a new world, and the ultimate health of the place is largely dependent upon theirs. On a larger scale, it's not uncommon to have deer-like species or bovine-derived herds that are enhanced with extra resistance to disease, violent weather, heavy metals or other mineral-based toxins in the soil, and therefore plant life, and more. Land-based predator species might include varieties of large cats, wolves, big reptiles, bears, and others. All of them crafted with a terrible shyness of humans, even beyond that provided by evolution. Natural animals can become habituated to people over time, losing their fear and becoming a threat. These animals never will, nor can they be tamed and they will consistently avoid contact with human beings at all costs. Aquatic and avian species get similar treatment. Modifications to all these many species are designed to be highly stable so as to prevent genetic drift up and down the food chain that could endanger the entire biosphere. A number of terraformed worlds have experienced biological crises in recent years, and many point to a lack of attention to this very detail as the main cause. Research is ongoing, and improvements in the process are a perpetual goal. Military applications of gene sculpting are generally restricted to rehabilitation and life-saving procedures. Radiation exposure or extensive physical traumas are routinely treated with genetic therapies just as they are in the civilian sector. Modifications for enhanced strength, senses or reflexes are said by some to be performed for certain elite units, but if so, the existence and intended purpose of these so-called super soldiers are highly classified. To date, no military in space has admitted to producing genetically enhanced troops. Though many analysts believe every modern military body does so, to one extent or another. An oft-repeated horror story, the details of which vary widely from teller to teller, is of a sparsely settled world run by an evil dictator who thought he could boost the productivity of his peasant workers while reducing their social discontent. Many versions of this story state the tyrant had a flu virus modified to deliver a genetic payload that bulked up the average level of musculature in the population while dropping their baseline intelligence. But something went wrong, as something always does in tales like this. The people became animalistic savages and the dictator society collapsed entirely. In order to keep the virus at bay, the larger territorial authorities secretly carpet-nuked the surface of the world and set up a permanent quarantine. But many versions of this story state there were some survivors of the bombs who now live lives of cannibalistic lunacy among the radioactive wastes. And should you ever crash upon this forsaken world, you'll be trapped with them slowly mutating and going mad. A legend like this illustrates how engineering has become part of the larger dialogue of the human race. Being a very common practice that has by now had universal reach throughout settled space, this tech is reflected in the hopes and fears of modern civilization, while simultaneously helping to define it. Urban myths and criminal behavior aside, overwhelmingly, the most important or impactful field to arise in gene sculpting is that which covers age reassignment procedures, that is, ARP, or more commonly, regen. By this point in history, it's possible for a person to have their physical age changed, usually so that they can have the clock reset, as it were. Put simply, the old become young again through a technique that essentially fools their genes into thinking the patient is in their 20s or 30s, or really any age desired. Some even choose to become children again. By being young in body, people avoid the degenerative effects of aging. After the procedure, the patient ages normally growing old again at the same slow rate as before. When they begin to feel the unpleasant effects of the passing years, they can have the procedure repeated. Then they can do it again in a few years, and again, and again, and again, enjoying effective immortality. Of course, diseases, accidents, and violence can still be issues, but time itself loses its bite, if the patient can afford it. This procedure falls under the umbrella category of metamorphic gene sculpting, being one that entirely changes the appearance of the body. Illegal ARP exists, therefore, in places where it's restricted for whatever reason. Formerly quite expensive and hard to obtain, Practical Regen has been around for at least several decades by the time of the books and short stories. It's only in recent years that it's become more widely available, and even then, only in some parts of the galaxy. The cost is still high, but it's dropping all the time, and many believe ARP will one day be so common and inexpensive as to be within reach of pretty much everyone. The impact of widespread immortality has yet to be understood. But speculation on the topic is rampant. Enthusiasts often claim it will force human exploration and colonization to increase at unprecedented rates, pushing the human race to greater heights than ever before. Naysayers talk in terms of unemployment, shortages, and starvation. And philosophers wonder whether people who will never die a natural death can even be considered human at all. No one yet knows how any of it will play out or what the human race will even look like after centuries of gene sculpting. Perhaps the fate of the human race pivots upon this technology. Or perhaps not at all. With some things, the questions matter more than the answers. So that's it for Gene Sculpting, at least for now. It's a huge area of interest in the Star Drifter universe, complicated and ever-changing. This topic could probably be the focus of a regular podcast all on its own, so let's consider this a glimpse of the possibilities and limitations of this fascinating branch of medical science. Okay, I got a bit of feedback. My dear friend Deep Geek had a couple questions that were inspired, I think, by Episode Three on Star Jump. Deep Geek writes, "Really enjoying Voice from the Void. I have a few questions about the Star Drifter universe. Are there space hobos? I would imagine that even with the low cost cold storage, that everybody would want to beat the fee." Also, regarding data messages that have to go through StarJump, what is the economic difference between waiting for the drone to leave on schedule and people who have the option of dispatching messages instantly? Okay, first one, space hobos. They do indeed exist in this future, and I talk about them briefly in Book 3, Risk Analysis. One of the characters mentions that she saw a documentary and was horrified to learn hobos are forced to hide for weeks at a time, often sleeping in their own filth. In my mind, this was likely a biased news story outlining the worst possible situations for the sake of shock and entertainment value. The typical experience would probably be more like camping, since it could go on for days or weeks. People riding the space lanes would not be hard to imagine, and I can even picture Ejack doing it from time to time. If you're caught, you're likely jailed, or worse, so staying hidden and quiet would be high priorities. I imagine it would be lonely for that reason, since traveling with others would only increase your risk of being discovered. Then again, it would depend on the ship and the circumstances. There might well be situations where empty cargo holds become impromptu hobo jungles for the duration of the voyage. Food for thought. Okay, and his second question on direct messages. In risk analysis, specialized dispatches were given a brief mention. Anyone who can afford it can have a communications jump drone or piloted ship dispatched immediately, assuming the star system has them available, of course, not all do. But affording it is the kicker. While larger systems will likely have commercial communication services available, most government, military, and high-level corporate executives would have courier fleets of their own, composed of ships that go on regular runs to regular destinations throughout the standard normal day. If you have something that needs quick attention from the home office and another star system, you have to get your message in by the next dispatch deadline, whenever that happens to be. Couriers like this are traveling with many messages at a time, and the charge for the service reflects that. Emergencies, of course, might require an immediate dispatch with only one message aboard. Usually, a couple of ships are held in reserve just for this reason. Such dispatches, as you might imagine, are much more expensive. Courier fleets cost money to build up and maintain. There are purchase or leasing costs for the ships themselves, maintenance and docking fees so the fleet can be housed at a rim stay out near the jump point, fuel costs, ship and docking crew payroll, administration fees, taxes, insurance, and ancillary costs. So, depending upon who you are and what star system you're in, you can indeed get immediate messages sent out, (laughs) but it'll cost you. If the message is not time-sensitive, one would just use the future equivalent of email and transmit it via normal commercial data storage. Sending such missives is essentially free of cost, but your message will get to its destination whenever the data proliferates to the appropriate star system. That could take anywhere from a few minutes remember, star jump is instantaneous in real space to many weeks, depending upon where the message is going. And... What the traffic is like on the way. Heavy traffic is better for communication purposes, so deliveries to and answers from backwater systems can require patience. Back in the 19th century, sending a telegram was not an inexpensive proposition for the average person. Only the most important news ever got shared that way. Births and deaths, usually. If the message wasn't urgent, it went by regular post which could take weeks or even months. Of course, the government, the military, and some of the big companies had their own telegraph personnel and networks, so they were able to send out direct messages all the time. I see this period in Star Drifter as being somewhat similar to that one regarding communications. Thank you, Deep Geek, for those excellent questions. Remember, folks, comments and queries are absolutely welcome. If there's anything you'd like to know regarding Star Drifter, its characters, or any news about the books and recordings, please drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. Next time, we'll be looking at a topic that's a personal favorite, no matter how you slice it. Namely, food. How do you fill hundreds of billions of bellies, scattered as they are in every direction, across light-years of space? How can so much affordable and nutritionally viable food be produced, processed, and distributed in a timely fashion? What sorts of cuisines are popular in EJOC's time? And will I have any fabulous recipes to share? Find out the answers to these questions and so many more next time on Voice from the Void. You have been listening to Voice from the Void, a podcast about Star Drifter and the Star Drifter universe, written and hosted by David Collins Rivera. The theme music is a piece called Wicked Ways by Kilobyte. That's K-I-L-L-A-B-Y-T-E. Featuring Danica Nadeau, and is available through no copyright sounds at ncs.io slash wickedwaysid. This podcast contains discussion about fictional works and characters and is not meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Voice from the Void is copyright 2018 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Thank you for listening. Take care.